It's all about ministry. Now, does anybody remember the definition I asked you to memorize of ministry? Nobody. Just the people online. I know the people online got it. People on... on uh, oh, uh, go ahead and cheat. Go to, go to page two. Go to page two. Let's repeat this together. Top of the page. Ministry takes place. Read it with me. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. All of those things are necessary in order for ministry to happen. You skip any of those things and you kind of miss out on ministry. It becomes something else. It becomes either a praise service to the glory of God. That's not always ministry. That's just praise. Or it becomes just good deeds. And that's just good deeds. Or it becomes uh, just feeling sorry for somebody. Uh, Or it becomes we just work, 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 work. But it's not God enabling us to do it. And so the kind of ministry kicks out of that. And that's just our good works. So we have to have all of those things. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. And we spend a lot of time talking about the divine resources. God has given us spiritual gifts. God has given us his word. He's given us music. He's given us a lot of things, uh, resources that we have from him. And our job is to basically not manufacture ministry, but to distribute what God has given to us, okay? So that's, we, we talked about that a lot last week, about being distributors and not manufacturers. But now we want to look at the idea of meeting needs in Christian love. Meeting needs in Christian love. Look back at the front cover there. There's a thing I want you to really get this, get down. Um, this idea of meeting needs. We see needs all around us, don't we? I mean, there are people, I mean, you just walk a few blocks from here and you're going to walk right into uh, people who are sleeping on the streets, living in tents. Uh, you're going to see people uh, doing drugs, having, having problems with other issues, and uh, there's needs all around us. There sure enough are. But um, we've got to do this God's way. And there's something more than just meeting physical needs that's important for ministry. Just physical needs, anybody can do that. But only Christians can really minister. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we have God's truth, and we have the ultimate answer, and that is Jesus Christ. So look at this uh, bottom of the front cover. The best thing we can do for people is not to solve their problems for them, but to to relate them to God's grace that they will be enabled uh, to solve their problems and not repeat them. Most of people's problems are heart problems. It starts there and they make bad choices and they continue in bad choices. And because they continue in bad choices, they stay in their problems. What we've got to do is point people to God's answers. First of all, salvation and then growth in grace by obedience to God's word. And that's what we want to do in ministry as we are taking the divine enablement. We have the gift of salvation that Jesus Christ gave to us. One beggar sharing with other beggars where they can find the bread, the gift of salvation. That's what ministry is. And so we want to pass this along. So now go to page two, and we're going to look at some things here. Uh, We can't do ministry without divine enablement. We have to have the Lord. We will not do ministry unless we see the need. We have to have our eyes open. Uh, We are merely uh, channels of God's resources. We're not manufacturers of of, uh, ministry. We are resources. Uh, that God has given to us, we share along the resources. And ultimately, the, the goal is to glorify God. Every time someone gets saved, what does it say the angels do in heaven? They're rejoicing, and God is glorified. Why? Because he's the only one who can save them from their sins. He's the only one that can change their hearts. 
So God, we, we can take them to the Lord and we can point them to the Lord and we can lead them to Christ, but they have to accept him and then he's the one who does the transformation in their lives. So look at bottom page two. That, uh, my, my wife looked at that picture. She says, that guy's left-handed. And so she, she notices that kind of thing because he's left-handed. Help others. In order to be able to help others, we must have first our eyes open to what they really need. You see needs around you? Yeah, we see them. I think sometimes we live in a city and we see so much of it that we kind of put the blinders on. And we kind of, we don't want to see it. Uh, we don't want to see it because it's overwhelming, right? So we've got to learn to have a little discernment. We're going to talk about some of this, okay? We must have our eyes open to what they really need. We must never help others in order to make ourselves feel or look better. We're going to get into that. There are people who who do charity work simply because it makes them look good, right? Or makes them feel good about themselves. Now, we must be careful to not to merely acknowledge a need, but to do something about it. One thing to see somebody hungry is another thing to feed them. It's, another, it's one thing to acknowledge that somebody's lost. It's another thing to help them find Christ. And then uh, fourthly, we must remember that their greatest need is to know God and obey his will. That is true. The greatest need that everybody, anybody has is to know God. That's what we were created for, to know him and to glorify him and to live with him forever. That's what we were created for and to enjoy him forever. So let's go to the next page, page three. Ministering to others is not just a good idea. It is a command. See the scripture there, John chapter 15, uh, verse 12. This is my, by the way, what color is that ink? What does that mean? Jesus said it. Of course, all, we know all scripture is inspired, but it is interesting to know that Jesus said these words. This is my commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you. How did he love? He was so much better than us, and yet he still loved us. So we look at other people, and we see them in their needs, and we go, yeah, I don't want to get close to that person. They smell, they, they got problems, they got issues. I don't, I don't, they're not nice. I don't want to be around them. But Jesus loved us when we were not so nice, right? Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. The Lord Jesus has commanded us to love one another, and he's told us we're supposed to go bear fruit. How do you bear fruit? By ministering to other people, by bringing people to him, by pointing people to the Lord. Okay? I've called you that you go and bear fruit, and, and appointed you that you would go forth and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. When you bear fruit, he gives you more, so that you can bear more fruit. This I command you, that you love one another. And then no one ever loved like Jesus did. You know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Which is what we often do when we see somebody in need. Oh, get away from me. We don't want, I don't want you to be near me. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. He ministered to people so that they could come to him for salvation. And Romans chapter 5 verse 6. Uh, and uh, down to verse 8, some of my favorite verses in Scripture. But while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
in John 15, it talks about our friends. But here it says Christ dying for his friends in verse 13. But in here in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, it talks about him dying for the ungodly. For if one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus Christ, in all of his superiority and perfection, reached down to poor, lowly sinners like you and I so that we could be transformed into his likeness by being saved and then growing in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So when we love, when we love as Christ loved, we must see man's need as Christ sees them. Jesus Christ didn't come into the world just to feed people or to give them clothing or to give them housing or to help them with their addictions. Jesus Christ came into the world to change them, to save them, to transform them, to give them new life. And that's ultimately what ministry is about, giving people new life. So, page three, bottom of the page there. Number one, our eyes need to be open. We need to ask God to take those blinders off. Sometimes we get our head down, we're busy with our lives and the things that we do and our families and our work and our desires and our entertainment and our whatever. And we forget that we need to keep our eyes open. You ever see these guys walking through the streets of San Francisco with their phones? How many people have I almost run over because they're walking through across the street with their, with their cell phone and they're not even paying attention. They're walking right out in front of a car. Uh, it happens. Uh, this is the way we are. We, we got our mind focused on something else and we're not seeing things around us that we need to see. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Jesus said, it says about Jesus, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw what was going on around him. He didn't ignore it. He wasn't too good to notice. He paid attention. His eyes were open. And you and I, if we want to be like the Lord Jesus, we have to have our eyes open to the needs of people. Um, he cared. Do you? Let's go to the second one on page four. Eyes on others, not on me. I think one of the greatest blights of this new cell phone generation is this selfie world that people live in. You know what I'm talking about? I see people that are so enamored with themselves. Every time you see a picture of them on Facebook, it's a picture of them, not what they're doing. It's not, you know, it's all about them. Everything's about them. They have their TikToks and they have their whatever, all these yoohoos or whatever they have. I don't know what all they call them. But they have all these images that they're constantly, look at me, look at me, look at me. The idea in ministry is to be looking at others, being concerned about others around us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness, which is what me is all about, or empty conceit. Look at me. But with humility of, of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal needs, but also for the needs of others. Again, we walk through the street and we hold on to our stuff, hold on to my purse, watch my wallet. And we should. We got that smart. That's not, we don't want somebody to just come along and steal our thing. But we also need to remember that sometimes we need to help these other people. 
and that's not just the streets, that's, that's other needs in the families, other, other needs, people that you know in other places, missions fields and other things. There's a song in the Majesty hymn book, not the one that we have now, but an older hymn book that was put out by Majesty Music called Others. Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. When we pray, a lot of times it's, Lord, give me this, Lord, give me that. I need to be praying for others. Help me in all the work I do to be ever be sincere and true and know that all I do for you must needs be done for others. When we're helping others, we are serving the Lord. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I may live like thee. Isn't that what Jesus did? That's exactly what he did. He came to live for others. Some people, as I said before, do good deeds because it looks good on their resume. My wife works in HR. I don't know if she has that problem in in your company or not. But I know in some companies, uh, you get kind of brownie points with the boss if you if you go and work down at the soup kitchen or if you go out and do something else. And they do that so that they can get a promotion. Look at me, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a nice guy, I'm a nice girl. I'm a, I'm a helpful person. It's possible to do things, do a good thing for the wrong reason. That's what the Pharisees did, right? Look in Matthew chapter 23. It's in your notes there. I was gonna just read it, but I put it in your notes for you because I know some of you don't like to have to look things up. But Matthew chapter 23, verses one through 12. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees, those were the educated religious leaders of their day, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. They put themselves there. Christ hadn't put them there. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, uh, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders. Do this, do that, do that. But they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. For they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues. And respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi. For one is your teacher. And you're all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. We talked about that a little bit last night with the deacons. The word deacon means servant. And the deacons all, I asked them, I asked them to read a chapter that dealt with that, and they they, they all got it really well. They, they explained it and they understood it. That's the idea. If you want to be a real leader, whoever be the greatest of you would be the servant of all. Remember Jesus, what did he do? He took off his garment and he, he took a towel and he washed the dirty feet of his 12 disciples to prove to them, I'm your master, but look what I'm doing. I'm washing your feet. I'm not asking you to wash mine. I am here to serve you. And to help you become what you should be. Um, and that's, that's, what, that's what ministry is. We don't serve others so others will notice us. We do it uh, not because of what we get out of it, but because we can give to others. Page 5. We serve others because Christ commanded us to do so. Right? 
but also because he's given us a heart of compassion. We've been become like the Lord Jesus Christ, and he saw needs, and he was moved with compassion. That's the way we should look at this when we see people in times of need. We need to have genuine compassion, genuine love for our fellow man. Uh, the people on the streets, the people we work with, the people that don't look like us or act like us, may not have the same skin color or speak the same language as us, may not wear the same kind of clothes as us. We need to have some compassion for them. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, important chapter in the scriptures, talks about Christian love and what it is. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, I say all the right things, but I do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, like that monkey with the cymbals there, how can that off to the side? It's just a nuisance, it's just aggravating, it's just noise. We can say all the right things, but if our heart's not in it, we're not really ministering. If we don't love the people we're speaking to. Number two, verse two. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. Take a zero, write it on the whiteboard, and then take an eraser and wipe out the, the, the rim. That's what you're talking about, nothing. You get to heaven, there's no reward. You get to heaven, there's nothing. Because you haven't done it for the Lord, you've done it for yourself. You haven't done it because you love, you've done it for yourself. Verse 3, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, good thing to do. If I surrender my body to be burned, that's what happens to people who get their lives martyred for their beliefs. But do not have love, it profits me nothing. It profits me nothing. So we need to have this heart of compassion. We need to have our eyes open so we see things. And we need to have the compassion of Christ if we want to be faithful in ministry. Got to really care about people. Really care. It's not about just doing. It's about really caring. Wearsby says this, if we aren't careful, we can minister in such a way that we exploit the needs of others to get ourselves recognition, position, titles, honors, and privileges. True servants of God help others, whether they themselves get anything out of it or not. Their concern is only that God is glorified and people are brought to Christ. That's what, we, that's what our ministry is about. Thirdly, it's possible to see a need and just not do anything about it. It is possible. Oh yeah, there's a real need. And do nothing about it. We have eyes to act upon what we see. We can't be like that lady in the picture there with our fingers in our ears and our dark glasses on and popping bubblegum or whatever and just going through life and uh, pleasing ourselves and ignoring the noise around us and the needs around us. It's easy to say it's not my problem. I didn't cause that. I didn't do that. I didn't make that happen. I don't have enough resources to solve all these problems. It's easy for us to say it's not my problem. Um, but a lot of times we act like that lawyer that Jesus met who asked him who his neighbor was. Remember that? In Luke chapter 10, a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he, Jesus, said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He knew, the, he knew he had memorized the Bible and knew what to say. But his heart wasn't in it. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Now do this and you will live. You know, so do something about it. A lot of times we know what to do, but we don't have the will to do it. We don't have the desire to do it. Too tired to do it. Let somebody else do it. But wishing to justify himself, the lawyer said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Why is it my problem? <laughs> That's what he said. Not my problem. That's somebody else's issue. Let the city take care of it. Let Mayor Breed fix it. Let somebody else fix it. No, we, we really need to ask God to help us to have a way to help people with things. Jesus replied to him, for page page six there in the notes, he told him that tale, or that parable of the Good Samaritan. You know that. And I'm not going to read all of this, but you know how what happened. Was you, got, you ever done this? Have you ever, I mean, I, I, I'm sure some of us have done this. You, you see somebody on the street, and he's sitting there in the middle of the corner, and he doesn't look so good, doesn't smell so good, and... I'm just going to go on this side of the street and not go down right next to that guy. I don't know what he's going to do. Some of that's safety. Some of that's wise. But if it's just because you don't like it, you're just like, what is it, a priest and a Levite mentioned in Luke chapter 10. Remember the man, he was traveling someplace and he got beat up and robbed and thrown in a ditch. He was hurting, probably moaning. Maybe bleeding. Not such a pretty sight. Maybe his clothes were all torn up. And what did they do? They walked on, on the other side of the street. I don't, not, not my problem. Not my problem. Let somebody else take care of them. And who were these people? Priests, Levites. Jewish spiritual leaders. Not my problem. If it wasn't their problem, whose problem was it? I mean, that's their job minister people and they didn't do it I know as a pastor who works with other pastors it's very easy for us to become very professional in our ministries and our work and our responsibilities and we miss out on the little things that need to be taken care of sometimes so I need this as much as you do Okay, this is not just yelling at you this is saying we all need to think about these things right I'll just read that. Luke chapter 10, verse 30 and 32. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, the person who's supposed to help the priest, be like a deacon in a modern-day church, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. My wife and I, sometimes we go through the streets and we see what you see. We see it. And, uh, and we look out the windows and we go, oh, that poor person. And uh, sometimes we'll look at each other and, and I know sometimes we can't do anything about it. But we, we, say, we, we remind ourselves that at one point, we were talking about this the other day. At some point, a mother nursed that little guy to her breast. That is somebody's brother, that is somebody's sister, that may be somebody's father, that may be somebody's mother. We don't know who those people are, 
they're in need. But somebody loves them. Now, it's very possible that they have gotten to where, like the, like the demoniac of Gadara. Remember that guy in the scriptures? Who got so out of control because of the, the demonic oppression that he had on his life that they would try to chain him down so he wouldn't hurt anybody. And he, they wouldn't, no, get, get out, everybody hide, here, come, here comes the demoniac. And, and sometimes, for your own safety, you do need to be careful about those things. I've heard people walk through the streets here, uh, and, and, and it's like they have got a, a megaphone built into their body. You ever heard those people? And they're screaming, and they're cursing, and they're, they're I think that's demonic oppression. I think that's there. And then we know there are folks that are addicted to drugs, and they're addicted to alcohol, and they're addicted to whatever. They didn't get there purposely, I don't think, most of them. Some of them. I remember talking one day down in front of, uh, of uh, I think it's someplace down on 6th Street. I went down there. I was looking for a ministry after our church's mission closed. And I was looking for another mission where we could send people if we needed them. Because they need special help. They need special care that we are not equipped to do. And so I was trying to meet with someone. And I remember talking with somebody in front of one of those missions. And he said, I am a military veteran. And... Uh, I got injured, and I had to take some medication to help me with the pain. And then I got hooked on it, and it just drugged me down. And this ministry helped me, and I'm so thankful for places like that. We need to pray that God will raise up more things like that, not just to help them with their physical needs. This place was also involved in teaching them scriptural truth and leading them to Christ and helping them grow, helping them get jobs, helping them get back on the, uh, on a path where they can take care of themselves, uh, helping them with their real needs. But even if we don't have the ability in our own pocketbook or in our own physical strength, or, or it's, a, it's a person that it would be unwise for us to get too close to because of gender issues or whatever, um, it would be it's wrong for us not to at least care. It's wrong for us not to at least bow our heads like Nehemiah did before he spoke to the king. Maybe not close our eyes because we shouldn't close our eyes. But just say, Lord, help that person and keep going. We could all tell stories. I could tell you some, but we won't. But we need to at least have compassion for these people. On page six, there's a typo I kind of cut and paste, and I forgot to take this thing out. Uh, right above the Samaritan, what did the priest and the Levite walk away? But then there was the Samaritan, somebody that the Jewish people that were hearing this story would have despised. They used Jesus used a Samaritan, the outcast, and said he did the right thing. The outcast did the right thing. The religious people didn't, but the outcast did the right thing. What did he do? Well, he was equipped properly. He was traveling. He must have had some bandages with him. He must have had some medication with him. He must have had some things with him. He had an animal with him that he could use to haul the guy, like an ambulance. And he had, he had the equipment that he needed, and he used the equipment that he had. A Samaritan who was on a journey, verse 33, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. That's where we start with this ministry. And came to him. That second part of ministry and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil, oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
And on the next day he took out two denarii. It cost him something. There was a sacrifice made. And gave them to the innkeeper who was equipped to take care of him. He couldn't. He was on a journey. He couldn't take care of him. And, uh, and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will pay you. He genuinely cared. He sacrificed to meet somebody else's need. He did what he could. And then he turned it over to somebody who had more resources that were more helpful to him. So that's the way we need to look at this thing. So Jesus answered the lawyer's question. Who's my neighbor? Go to the next page, verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? The Levite, the priest, or the stinking Samaritan? The lawyer was forced to answer as he would, as we would be so forced to answer that question. That Samaritan. Luke 10, 37. The one who showed mercy toward him. That's ministry. He saw the need. He didn't dismiss that his responsibility and he participated in helping this man. And Jesus said to the lawyer, go and do the same. We're supposed to be doing this. We're supposed to be doing it. Not handing it off to somebody else, we're to do what we can. At least pray. At least care. At least do what you can. Number four, we need to have eyes to see God and his will in the situation. Again, what, what was Jesus' response when he saw people in need? Well, before he even left heaven, he had compassion. And he left heaven's glories, sitting on a throne with angels bowing and declaring his holiness and his wonder and his glory. And he left all of that, made himself in the form of a servant, dwelt among them. He went to where they were, and he helped them. He helped us. He ministered to us. The greatest need any person has is that of knowing God. Not just getting charity. Knowing God and then obeying his will. And as we obey his will, God gives us the strength to come out of whatever the issues, the difficulties we are in. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't do anything to help people in physical need. We should do that. We should feed some people. We should help some people. We have some people that come who are very needy and come and eat, even sometimes on Sundays here, with lunch and mingle. And we feed them. We don't chase them away. No, we're glad you're here. Eat some food, enjoy it, partake of it. But you need to also hear the gospel. One, one, one of my f favorite ministries in all of the world, though the Lord hasn't called me to it, is, is what I saw in Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago, Illinois, as a high school kid. Our church, every fifth Sunday, whenever, every, every, every time there were five Mondays in a month, our church would load up a bunch of kids and young people and adults, and we would drive to Chicago, and we'd go to the Pacific Garden Mission. And there we would watch the Unshackled program being filmed. Have you ever heard that on the radio, the Unshackled program? And then we would go into their big service. Later on, I went back as a research project, and I went through the whole process of what it was like to be a homeless person. And it showed me where they, they took their clothing and threw their clothing away and gave them new clothing and ran them through and debugged them and killed all the bugs on them and gave them medication that they needed and, and then, then sent them into an auditorium, a big auditorium, probably three, 400 people. Uh, all basically people off the street sitting in this room. And there was an old man named Harry Saulnier. They called him Hallelujah Harry. And he would walk up. And he had 
he had uh, crippled up arms and knees and he would go through and he would shake hands with these guys and he would pray for these guys and these ladies that were in there and then he would grab a few young people like me and we'd go in another room someplace a hard floor like this with old metal folding chairs and he would get down on his knees and he would pray for those people and then uh, we would have a service and I'm telling you when that guy prayed that it was like the convertible on the car went open up and you could see right into heaven. It was amazing. And then you saw people come to Christ in those services. And then they'd feed them. And then they'd provide them with a house, with a place to sleep for the night. That's what it's all about. If we really want to help people, ultimately it's not just about feeding them and housing them. It's not about just detoxing them. It's about getting the gospel and changing their hearts. That's what ministry is. And that's what we need to be about. But it doesn't hurt to feed them. James chapter 2 verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he's faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed, be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is it? Even so faith if it has no works is dead, being alone, being by itself. So there's a place for soup kitchens, Meals on Wheels, rescue missions, church services, uh, feeding people in the streets. There's, there's a place for those things. Medical missions. I know some people that take medical trips all over the world. They go to all kinds of hard places. And they take free medicine, free dental work, free all this sort of thing. So while people are waiting in line, there's somebody preaching to them in the waiting room. Giving them the gospel, trying to lead them to Jesus Christ. So it's a com- combination of these things, these ministries put together. Page 8. What do we, what do, we do what we can to put food on the table. But unless we help people grow into a right relationship with God, whatever help we give them will only be a stopgap measure, a quick fix, until they have what they need. And then the cycle's repeated. How many of you have seen this? You feed somebody, you get them detoxed, they go right back to their drugs. You feed somebody, you help them get off their alcohol, they go right back to their liquor. You see somebody, you help them, and they go right back to whatever sin they were involved in. That's because all you've done is address the outside. The change has to come from within. This is why gospel has to be tied in with all of these things. This is why... Bible truth has to be tied in with all of these things. Page 8 here. What are some causes of the problems people find themselves in? Sometimes they're there because of the choices they make. Sometimes they are there because of choices other people make. Some people cause problems for others because of the choices they make. And I didn't put it in here, but I thought about it after I finished the lesson. I said, you know, there's something else about a reason people have problems. Because we live in a sin-cursed world. That's why we have hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and disease and sickness and all those other things. Cancer. And not necessarily because anybody did anything wrong. Jesus even addressed that a little bit. But it's because we live in a sin-cursed world. But regardless... Our point is even whatever the cause of the problem, the point is the answer is always the gospel and helping them to know God and to seeing how God can help them through that. That's always the best answer. Always. 
somebody who's got cancer, take them to the Lord. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lead not to your own understanding. In all our ways acknowledge Him, and He'll guide your path. Whatever the cause of the problem, the answer is always Jesus Christ. And we need to keep going in that direction. We're looking at time here, so let's let's move on here. Let's go back and, and look at the front cover again of the notes. The best thing we can do for people is not to solve their problems for them, but to relate them to God's grace that they will be enabled to solve their problems and not repeat them. That God really ultimately will be able to solve their problems and not repeat them. They have to be changed, transformed from within. What took the demoniac of Gadara out of the graveyard? Salvation. And he was seated and clothed in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And then Jesus, when he left, the man said, I want to go with you. You helped me. He said, no, take what you've learned and share it with somebody else. Go minister to your family. Go minister to other people. Let them see the transformation that's taken place in your heart. So the answer is always change the heart, not just the outside. Page 8, again, Peter and John, we talked about this last week. The lame beggar sitting there at the beautiful gate. And he's wanting something from them, just like people you see in the streets. And Peter and James, what do they do? I don't have silver, I don't have gold, but what I have I'll give you. And he pointed them to Jesus. And the man was healed. And then others came to Christ as well. And we're going to have to move on through the time. Page 9. Jesus did not come into the world to feed the hungry or to heal the lame. He came into the world to save sinners. In Matthew 20, verse 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Luke chapter 10, verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Peter and James understood that. They introduced the beggar to Christ. He was healed. And then they used that young man, that, that healed man, as also an object lesson. And people, other people came to Christ because they saw the transformation that took place in his life. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul understood this. Bottom of page 9. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. It is a trustworthy statement. Deserving full accept- acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was his purpose. Not to feed the hungry, not to set up soup kitchens, not to do missions trips to build hospitals. He came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Paul was a murderer and, a, and somebody who put people in jail for their faith. And yet for this reason, verse 16, I found mercy so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life, the transformation from within. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, so there we go. That's part of that, that definition of ministry. Ministry is... Divine resources meeting human needs through loving channels for the glory of God. To him, the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay? That's what it's all about. It's all for the glory of God. All right, page 10. Finish this up. Let's finish this up. Discernment. We 
need God's wisdom. It's really easy for us to get out of balance on this. We can get so out of balance where all we do is preach, 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 preach. We can go to the other extent and feed, 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 feed. We can tell people what's the matter with them. We can say, well, we love you so much, we'll just give you this and give you this and this and this. There has to be both. We have to find a way to do both of these things. I don't know how I don't know how we can do all of this. But we gotta do some of it somehow. We need to ask God to give us wisdom to know how to do this. I know I have been personally in recent months in contact with some rescue missions saying, How do we get some people like you out here to help us with this? Because we don't have these kind of resources. We need some resources. We don't have a place to do this. We we're not set up for this. We don't have the staff for this. We need staff, we need help, we need and, uh, and the director of the Pacific Garden Missions has been praying with me about this. I don't know what God wants us to do. But I do know he wants us to care. I do know he wants us to pray. I do know he wants us to at least try to do something. Not just to feed them, but to transform them. And to bring them into the likeness of Jesus Christ by salvation and in growth in him. True human suffering will never come to a true end until Jesus Christ is glorified by saving their lost souls. And we need divine guidance. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. The Apostle Paul preached this or prayed this for the Philippians. This needs to be our prayer for ourselves and for others. This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment. Understanding what we can do and what we can't do. So that you may approve things that are excellent. Not just what is just barely going to meet the need, but what is really the best thing. In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. We're going to give an account to the Lord for what we do with ministry. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. That's divine enablement to do the ministry. We can't do it in our own strength. We're just channels of what God gives us. We can feel overwhelmed. We can say, okay, Lord, I will do everything you provide. I will use everything you provide for ministry. And if you don't provide it, well, I guess I can't do it. But I'll do what I can with what you provide for me. Bottom of page 10. True ministry sees people in what they perceive as need. They perceive their need as, I'm hungry. I need clothes. I need a place to sleep. But then it seeks to reveal their true need. You need more than just that. You need Jesus Christ the need to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives. Pray with me about this, would you? How can we do what God wants us to do? He's put us here. This is our mission field. We've got to figure it out. We can't do everything. But it's wrong not to do anything. Do something. We need to ask God to give us the wisdom to know what to do. And I confess to you, I don't know what it is yet. But we need to pray about it. Father, thank you for this reminder that you have given us this responsibility for ministry you promised us the Holy Spirit you've given us your word to tell us how to go about things if we seek your will you will lead us in this we have no idea how to do this but we know you have the answers help us to be faithful to do what we can to use the little bit we have in our hands and to use it for your glory 
and then wait to see if you give us more so we can use that too. Glorify yourself through us as we minister in your name. Amen.